Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. So everyone, welcome back to another Coaching Family special. Uh, this one, uh, another special, got a special guest, obviously joined by Glenn Hicks, my good friend as always, and then a very special guest, good friend of mine, colleague, someone who, one of the few coaches who are out there where I actually look forward to seeing their work and respect what they do. So the coach is the right way. And like we, were, we were talking early, actually, you know, you can't really talk about elite player development unless you've worked in those environments and you can't really sit at the table if you like. And so now this guy's obviously worked at Arsenal for many years in many other clubs. So Alex Nichols, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Saul. I thought I'd get you in there. We're going to do we're going to do like a special talk about technical footballers. I mean, what is it? What are they? What do they look like? And the best way to develop them. So obviously, getting someone with your background in someone who's worked at Arsenal as a technical coach for many years, many other academies. Also, you've got your own elite. You run like elite level sessions with a lot of academy players in around London. So good to get your your uh, input. And obviously, obviously, Glenn obviously worked in those environments as well. So that was 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 a technical. When I say technical footballers, out, what does that mean to you? So for me, it's about looking what happens at the top level, first team football, at the very highest level, and then just basically trying to scale it back. And for me, it's just about dominating the opponent with a level of consistency, level of consistent quality and speed in their execution. Um, whether that be a, a goalkeeper, whether that be a centre-back, right the way forward to wingers and forwards. Tell us about a bit of that, about your work then, and you know, you worked at Arsenal, you know, HLM, one of the best academies in, in the world. Tell us about your work there and you, as a technical coach, what did that look like? Practically, man, what you sort of sessions you putting on? So a lot, a lot, a lot of the work was done um, based on a syllabus, which number one was conducive to technical development, and uh, and being at a club that prides itself on developing technical footballers is always a good start. It's always the kind of the environment that you want to be in. Um, in terms of foundation phase, um, I spent a few years doing the under eights at pre academy in the main group, and then went on to be head coach of the under nines for a season, and we spent a lot of time at the beginning and end of sessions just. Uh, player, uh, player, player with the ball each, um, and a variety of kind of the full range of ball mastery from ball striking straight through to passing, receiving, uh, change direction with the ball, skill combinations, uh, a little bit of aerial receiving, and so on. And the ba- the basic, the basis of in the foundation phase, including pre academy, is essentially to make them as well balanced, not only from a physical perspective but also from a technical perspective of both sides as possible um, and to have the, the full range of the toolbox make their toolbox as varied and unpredictable as possible as well as also nailing down the the um, what I would call the brilliant basics the likes of the Cruyff the likes of the role the likes of skills that you'd if you turn on the TV and you watch the Champions League on a uh, on any given week the skills that you'd see more often as opposed to the unpredictable ones um, as well then tell us about obviously because you worked you were like 15s and 16s, you worked with that age group as well. What was the difference in your work and the approach? How yeah. much, you know, in terms of how much freedom and leeway were you given? And to be honest, the, the, the ratio just changes when it gets to, to youth development phase. And I think this is where a lot, a lot of clubs get it wrong because a lot of clubs start stop doing technical development and stop doing high repetition practices. They stop varying from unopposed to fully opposed, and then you're a bit with the semi-opposed. 
they everything kind of starts with the rondo and it will often build into uh into games or small sided games or um possessions whereas at Arsenal, what we'd spent a lot of time doing was um, the first 20 minutes and we had a rival activity, just like we would in the pre-academy. Uh, and we, we'd try and set an environment where players would get out as early as possible, not only because it would maximise the amount of touches on the ball, but also you set a positive ethos for training where when the players get there, they know they're not going to be standing on the pitch for, for 10 minutes knowing they're, they're going to be listening for ages. They're going to touch a ball the moment they walk on the pitch. And that was very much a culture from top to bottom. Um, so my last three years at Arsenal were spent doing the under-14s, then 15s and then 16s. And um, we would start with kick-ups. That would be essential with the arrival activity. And um, lots of variations, lots of different repetitions, outsides only, outside, inside, outside. Um, and just a whole multitude of different kind of receiving practices. Working with players who uh, in pairs and on their own and in small groups. Um, just ensuring that players actually maximise their touches. Once the players arrived, it would then build into a variety of skill combinations. And sometimes and my favourite ones, which I really like, especially in the youth development phase, which is ones where it had an element of everything. So it might be a couple of twists and turns into a pass, into receiving on the move, and then maybe uh, driving with the ball. So it, it still had that element of high repetition practices, but it was just on a far more complex complex kind of plane. But then also it had far more um, far more elements to it. Whereas with the younger ones, you're just trying to isolate one specific skill or and build up combinations. This was, okay, we know you've got your brilliant basics. We know you've got your foundations. Can you then link those foundations? And ultimately we talk a lot about actions. Players being able to link one action into the next. Can you, okay, you can create from roll. Okay, you can pass can you now pass on the move out of a pro from role and being explosive out of it and then running into a next receiving practice where you're receiving on the move and that's where we added in different levels of complexity and slightly more opposed practices as well than that what would you say to the people who say maybe you know why are you doing ball mastery what's it related to that sort of you know <laughs> so it's, it's related to the player it's related to their their indiv individual capabilities it's related to their ability to not only dominate the game when they're in possession and change the game, not only the di direction of it, but also kind of the speed of it. And we're trying to empower players to be able to have that capability in any circumstance, not only to help retain the ball, but also change the game. Like I say, turn the game forward, whether that be from a centre-back or a goalkeeper, all the way right through to the, the players at the top of the pitch. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because, Glenn, I'll bring you in in a minute, mate. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, cool, I'm getting carried away here with Al. But, um, mm -hmm. It's interesting, Al, isn't it? Because... You know, we've very much come from a similar, Glenn as well, you know, we come from a similar sort of methodology in terms of how we believe players should do it. And we've seen it in action. That's the difference in it, right? We've seen it. We've, the proof's in the pudding, right? But then it's interesting now there's like, um, you know, when people say, oh, yeah, but is it linked to anything? Or, you know, that's no, there's no decision making and stuff like that. It's, it's interesting now we work in this, this, this strange world where, you know, it's like, a, like you say, it's a binary opposite, isn't it? Black and white. People say, oh, yeah, that's why you're doing that. I don't see anything. And then people say, oh, yeah, you do it. And it's almost like, you know, that's why I can't stand it. But that's when and my first, when I when I first, well, this is when I first came up against this this sort of this sort of barrier. I said, I, no, I've seen it. You know, it's like I've seen this work. And that's the problem. You say, just try it, and you'll see the amazing outcomes. Right. The thing is, so it's like you're 100 percent right. But then also, when people think about technical development, if you're if your topic as a club or not necessarily just an academy as a grassroots club, it, it doesn't really make a difference. If if your topic for that month may be um, something along along the lines of a more um, offensive practice, maybe in wide areas, you should set your technical practice up 
which might might be more accommodating for players that play in wide areas, fullbacks, wingers, um, and exploiting those kind of wide area kind of type of movements and so on. Um, and then you can link your technique, technical practice, but also to the part of the pitch. Pitchography is really important and it helps, it helps when you have a technical coach that not only understands the wider methodology in terms of the the topic for the entire group, but also be able to scale that back. If you think about a topic along the lines of um, at Brentford, we used to talk a lot about um, playing with a purpose. Okay, well, for what the technical capabilities that our players need to have to play with a purpose? Okay, they need to be, rece- be able to scan well. They need to be able to receive to play forward. They need to be able to receive in a variety of ways to open up the space to play forward. And then is it, is it that we need to work on their driving with the ball? Is it that we need to work on their passing with the ball or variety of paths? So you just scale it back. So then when you go into your, your bigger type of practices where you want players to play with a purpose, for example, you've already done the technical bit at the beginning of the session, which almost primes the learning for them to take out the technical part and then apply it. And it's layered. Not everything has to be with massive decision-making that's relative to the game. Of course, it's a sliding scale. Of course, the older age groups you do, you want them to make more decisions as well as match their, te- their technique. But it's about priming the learning. And I think technical practices do that perfectly in the first 20, 30 minutes of, um, of any session. And obviously, your own individual work you're doing. That makes, you know, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is quite unique, though, in terms of that methodology. I mean, you're now one of the, you know, the leading coaches in the country at this. You know, you're top one of, you know, the best what you do where did you learn this because you, you know I'm, I'm guessing you didn't learn this in one of your fa courses and you know when you're up at st george's park or anything because you know it's a very different methodology i mean that's where did you cultivate this understanding and this you know this technical outlook so this, i suppose we just talk about the methodology first then we talk about the actual players so the methodology that i learned it was almost scaled at different points because I was because I've worked at three different academies I was at Brentford for four years and then I did um just under two years at Watford and then I did, and then I went to Arsenal I was at Arsenal for the last seven eight years and the at Brentford everything was very much fast and furious and we were really really big on the principles of the of of players getting on the ball being expressive but also getting getting lots of goals. Repetition was really high in terms of the priorities within the sessions that we delivered. Um, and so that was what I took. But then there were also um, some things that I would have liked to add a, a little bit more as the programme got so strong and we really built a name for ourselves at Brentford is that whenever we'd play the cap ones, we'd be, we'd be competitive. And very often we'd, um, we would often have the best player on the pitch or play um, or dominate the ball against kind of top cat ones. But the problem was is that you'd always find whenever you play the cat ones, there was an element of extra refinement in the technique that the cat one plays had as a, on a general. Their general, their general level was a little bit higher, and so we didn't do much on a poster at at Brentford. We did a lot of semi opposed and a poster, and so I was a, I was of the belief that well, okay, well now we've got our players to a certain level in terms of their their basics. Let's really knuckle down and really drill down on some of the detail that we can start to add. Um, and then when I, when I went to Watford, it was still technical-based, um, but the intensity was lacking. And and that was a real bugbear for me because that was literally... You, you couldn't be a Brentford coach for, for a week if, you had, if there was no intensity sessions. And then when I went to Arsenal, it was almost like there was much more rain to do, the, to do a little bit of everything. Um, and unopposed practice... 
definitely wasn't frowned upon. And it, in fact, it, they had a track record of, of producing players when I was at the likes of Brentford in 2011, 2012 and so on. And, and they were doing that and long before before that at the um, at, at the academy, which which kind of played into my kind of um, my strengths as a coach and what I really wanted to try and advance. And big people also on. just on that big people I, I, I worked with and, and learned from was much more was uh, Max Maxi who I worked with uh, Josh Hinkson um, Ollie Hinkson we were all growing as young coaches together um, but learned a lot from people like Ozzy Abanji. Um, Danny Buck was massive. Um, he was he did the 16s when I was doing the eights and nines at the time. We're talking about best part of nearly 15 years ago now, but um, still, but we had that kind of culture we could share, and we learned loads from those other people. Interesting. Glenn, and bring you in. Glenn, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, it was so interesting far? listening. It's good to hear different parts from Brentford and Arsenal, and whatever. And we got a bit of insight that to ourselves, but it's it's really insightful. But the first point that Alex made is really important about looking at the top end of the game because I think. It's, it's like if you've got the fruits of the tree and the roots of the tree, you just can't get nice apples and whatever else is going to fall off the tree without solid roots and foundation. And that's kind of like an analogy I would like to put on the importance of technique. How people go about doing it, whether it's ball in a wall, ball between three, semi-opposed, unopposed, you just have to really appreciate that technique or good technical players and their technique is at the foundation of all skill. It's not separate. This game, this whole thing about, yeah, let the game be the teacher. Okay, that's fine. But if the kid, it doesn't matter how good your ideas are or what game situation you put them in. If they don't have the technical tools, they can't cope. It's like it's like trying to drive a car without wheels. You just can't do it. Do you know what I mean? And I think I try and steer away from this whole war, technique or skill. Well, actually, I'll always start technique because it is it is the fundamental biggest part of what skill is. They're not separate things. It's a... It's a huge part of it. And it's interesting to hear uh, Alex with different methodologies about those more high intensity at Brentford and a bit more, you know, probably variable at Arsenal. But, you know, we know some players that have come out of both of them academies and both had outstanding success with players that are, have gone on to play at a top, top level. And so how people do it is one thing, but I, I just don't understand the, the war against it, isolated practice. Do you know what I mean? I've never... I've never quite understood that sort of, because, like you say, anyone that is experienced knows that it's it's absolutely essential to get that to get the technical practice in there, mate. Yeah, but that's a problem. Though you had the last ten or so years when actually coaches, someone on you know social media the other day, you know, coach, you know, like a top coach says, oh, you know, I'd never do unopposed unless I was doing a one to one, and that's someone who's just come out of the coach education system of the FA, which is you know it's fair enough. But I mean, you know, that's a reality. Then you know, you just, that doesn't reflect what goes on you know, at not even the highest level of the game. Another misconception is saying, well, that's only elite players doing unopposed. Telling me like a beginner can't, you know, can't, uh, you know, benefit from having a little bit more extra time on the ball, learning some basic skills. I mean, the, the trick, the, 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 the skills are see how you do it, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You don't mm. have a long queue, you know, bus queues. That's why you have an experienced coaching environment. But goodness me, it's like, you know, what's this, this whole like, you know, fundamentalism, which, you know, took hold of so much of our coach education was saying everything's got to be in a game. But anything's just like, like everything else is like, it's gone black and white. When, you know, when reality is like, we all know, you know, it's a hybrid, isn't it? You do some of this, you do some of that. It's about when and where you do it. You pick it, you have the, you know, it's about the art of the coach to do it. So, I mean, that's the reality. I mean, that, you know, that's why, you know, unfortunately, I have this ridiculous conversation because it's such ridiculous ideas are still prevalent, even the by higher echelons in our game. What do you think, um, what do you think then, uh, Glenn, was was a technical footballer look to you then? What does that mean, having been a technical footballer? Um, I think Bobby Cholton or Zinedine Zidane hitting the ball for both feet from 25 yards, forget the pitch, forget everything else and all the other stuff. 
looks almost identical or Puskas doing a drag back at Wembley looks not much dissimilar to a Grealish or someone. Pele lifting it over a player's head is the same, I believe, from a technical point of view as Neymar lifting it over someone's head. There's there is universal things, aren't there, that whether you played the game 150 years ago or you play in 150 years' time, I think they're all going to look the same or similar. The, the, the thing where there's a bit of skills gap always, because I watched a session the other day with one coach that interfered a lot. I, and I say interfered because they didn't intervene and do the intervention. They interfered with a child learning. But then I watched somebody else that didn't say much, and I see this kid progressing at a rate of knots. And, and there was a training session on After Us the other night, saw, and there was no coach. But they got on with it, like we used to when we were younger. It was all teenage, college age, playing 11 v 11. It was getting a bit feisty, but the coach was running late. But they got on with it. They still figured it out. It was great football taking place. And I quite like to remind us coaches that, that we're actually not the most important thing. <laughs> and we don't, it, it's a bit too much of an obsession about the content of the, like the, the structure of the session at times. I like them brilliant videos. There was one in Brazil recently, wasn't there? You know, where they're playing on the street and there's like a, there was like a, a hole in the road, like a manhole cover had come off. And it was kind of like a 3v3 barefoot on the concrete with the curbs. And it was some of the most incredible football you're ever going to see. So I think we've also got to bear that in mind as well, Saul. Do you know what I mean? When trying to produce technical players. Sometimes I'm not saying let the going be the, te- game be the teacher, no. but them kids will stand there against the curb, Saul. Them same kids, yeah. they'll go, yeah, they're just playing. No, they'll, they'll hit the ball against the curb or they'll create their own games like we used to. Hit the lamppost, hit the curb, 1v1s. Yeah. Like they, they'll create that environment with a ball in themselves anyway. Do you know what I mean? Without us having yeah. to create a structured environment. But I think that's that's almost one of the common misconceptions, isn't it? Because that's what people say. Oh, yeah, you know, those guys in the favelas in, you know, South America, they don't need, like, skills coaching, whatever, which is obviously a load of rubbish because they're spending loads of time on the ball. But, I mean, it's the question is, I mean, Romeo Joseph made a great point. He was on the show when I was chatting to him, you know, former head of Croatian football and time uh, He said, look, because, you know, your outliers are always going to be your outliers. You know, you, you know, your Bellingham's obviously they're going to help them produce, you know, produce like your Maradonas, your Gazers. You know, we're always going to have those players that be, you know, for everybody else, the 99, the other 99%, that's why you need that programme. You're still going to stretch those other players and do that, but obviously, but all your players need that. And most of the players are not going to get that. That's the thing. You know, we're in a, we live in a society like we talked about the other week. You know, I think we need to be more interventionist. We need to step in more. Every player needs that, those qualities, you, you know, whether you know, especially in academy football, you know, what I mean, if you're like a you know, it's, you know, if you play a right back or a keeper, even you can't, you're not good on the ball, you know, you've got no chance. Do you know what I mean? So, everybody needs that technical instruction. What do you think about that, Al? What's your thoughts, mate? No, I, I think I think it's massive. And, I, and like you say, the repetition, and like you say, it's the outliers. We've all we've all coached outliers, um, in, in our careers where you could do any, any practice with them and they'll and they'll be technically dominant and they or it might be something they might not practice and so on. But the game being the teacher thing is probably the most dangerous phrase for me in coaching. Um, and Glenn made a great point earlier, and I just wanted to kind of um, share a little bit of my experience on that. So um, there was a time um, when I was 2018-19 uh, season, I was the head coach of the Nines at Arsenal. And um, I was just finished off my AYA. So for those of people that don't know what the AYA is, it's equivalent of, the, it's basically your UEFA A licence, but specifically for um, specific younger age groups. And I was um, I was finished off the AYA and I was on the last block and the last block was technical block, and we're sitting there talking and um, one of the um, one of the tutors said, um, oh well you know, with with the skills now that the players what they play on FIFA all the time and so on, you know the the players know the skills they know they know what to do they know what to do on the ball because they play the game all the time. As I said, wait a minute, we've all played FIFA, we've all played in the street. We've all seen players do special things on TV. That's 
that does not mean we understand number one, the, the value of the repetition of it to so make us more consistent with it. That does not mean that we understand the underpinning principles. And he said, I said, listen, FIFA inspires. It inspires people. It inspired people. Myself, when I was playing FIFA as a kid, it inspires the new generation. But it's our job as coaches to give them underpinning principles and details, which are the springboard for their own success. For, to, be, to be not only effective players, but efficient players. Yeah, and that's it. That's what coaching is about, isn't it? They say, like, you know, like Glenn's talking about always, you know, two-footed players. You know, you have a one player who's immediately gifted, he's one-footed, and that's our job, right, I'm going to force him, I'm going to stretch him to play on his weaker side or her weaker side. And I think that's another massive misconception. You know, people like, you know, I, I still go to academies and I don't see one ball each, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? You know, young foundation phase, why do PFL? So what, what is going on here? So why, why are you not giving your players time on the ball to develop? And also, like I say, it's not just about them going and express themselves. It's about stretching them. Like you said, Al, like, you know, that balance, that coordination, that agility. You know, if I can't use my left foot and turn or croy for a cut on my left side, that means my balance is not going to be as good as it is on my other side. So why wouldn't you try and improve that? If you improve a player's balance on the weaker side, the way they can turn, the way they can pivot and they can move, that's going to help their ball striking and that feeds into like exactly what Glenn said. That's what it's about, isn't it? So it's about not just about stretching players. You know, this is, you know, like I said on post this morning, and you know, it's about it's not only about techniques, about the movement and the body for the modern game. Right, and you look at those players, like you know, you talked about those players in Brazil, Glenn, those you know, the South Americans, you know, the way they move and they wear their movement in their hips, they just move fluid, aren't they? Northern Europeans aren't. Chris Rounds used to talk about it a lot. It's a very wooden, very straight line. If you do lots of ball mastering, that sort of movement, goodness me, it improves players' movement patterns and get out, like I say, they can like I say Corey from roll pivot, get out of those those rodeo movements. That's, and I think it's, that's what's so frustrating as well. I was thinking, like, goodness me, it's like, are you an individual-based program? Yeah, or are you just producing teams? Do you know what I mean? So that's the other thing, you know. Are you having got a technical programme or are you trying to just produce, you know, a team that's going to win on the weekend? But then I also think people don't realise that poor technique or lack of technique or poor technical balance, if you're if you're not as proficient as you should be on your non-dominant side, people don't realise how often that affects players' decision-making. Players yeah. will... I, I, I coach players in youth development phase and even professional development phase that will receive it from one side of the pitch Know that it should probably go to the other, as it from a from a tactical basic principle, but because they can't receive off their left side, they'll side. receive on on their front foot rather than their back foot, and then so mm. all of a sudden they cut off the pitch. So then people are talking about all oh, these decision makers. Well, no, no, no. He does that. He or she, that player, doesn't have the technical toolbox to do what the coach wants them to do, or possibly what they even know they should do from a technical perspective. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Jen, anything on that? No, it's a really good point. And sometimes it becomes easy to coach then against that because if you, you know, I condition the players to say, look, first 10 minutes, we don't figure out as much as you can about your opponent. First of all, your direct opponent. And if you work out as a central midfielder that's obsessed with his left foot, well, actually, like Alex said there, fellas, let's not let him get it from right back because we know if he gets it from right back, he's going to drop in and he's going to spray it over our head and play a dive. But when it goes to left back, let him get it. Let him get it, but let him open up. Don't let him go back on his left. And, and you're right, Alex, you, you almost then you're exploiting their weaknesses, aren't you? And again, it comes down to individual technical weaknesses, all the tactical best laid plans. Like you said, he probably has seen it. So the tactical plan was good. There was space out there, but through a lack of courage or ability and whatever else, or trust in their ability, lack of ability, um, they'll, they'll struggle to execute. I just want to go back on something about what um, Alex said about setting them on fire, like igniting them, you know, FIFA, you know, we're all just love football so much. So we immerse ourselves and kids are brilliant nowadays. Honestly, they, they immerse themselves probably too much time on FIFA. 
but when it's it's about when they've got that passion what do we do with it and there was a great clip of jesus the other day when they gabriel jesus he says what is it you bring to this arsenal team and it's fantastic he just he more or less said at the end of it he said it's the streets he said i was playing football until 14 15 with my junior grassroots team and pretty much just on the streets and i can't remember the name of the club so i don't know which one he went to but then when he got picked up at 15 he's never really lost that identity do you know what i mean that that little scruffy finish that they the instincts but what he has had like we made a point of sort is is he's, he's had if he if he didn't have the structure and the discipline and whatever else comes with a professional environment, I don't think he'd be as good as what he is. So it's about having that structure and you know building the basics. And I'm sure he got talked to pass the ball a little bit more because you watch the clips of him at 16, so and he was phenomenal at dribbling. He was just another exceptional Brazilian that's had to learn other parts of the game. But it was fascinating that he said, "What do you bring to the game?" And he just said, "I bring the streets." And I think he means it more in terms of his spirit and the way he plays football, like that South American soul and that spirit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, just quickly on that, I, mean, I say that a lot in terms of, they say, what do, what do you try and get out of your, your technical sessions? You say, you want to try and get those street-like outcomes. And people say, why don't you just let them play? Because well, the problem is players don't have that. You get from an hour and a half a week, hour and a half a session, rather. You know, back in the day, we'd be going playing the street for like three, four hours or every single day. So you just, that's why it's about becoming, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, almost work really efficiently. You know, get hundreds and hundreds of quality touches, thousands of touches, quality touches. In I mean, it's, it's much more directed. So you're trying to, you know, really sort of intensify all those, you know, street like outcomes you get maybe for playing several hours, but then like compact them into like a, you know, real tight technical session. You know, and that's I think that's the um, skill of the coach. You know, that's the thing. I just want to talk to Al, ask you Al, uh, quickly. What do you say? That I mean, you know, most coaches aren't fortunate enough, aren't fortunate enough or haven't had the experience of working in academy football. What would you say to like grassroots coaches? You know, you know how are they gonna? What was, what would you? You know, if I've got a player, you know, a team for an hour a week, for example, boys or girls, you know, uh, what would you just? How would you structure a session to get a good technical session and make sure everyone's getting on the ball, that sort of thing? And I think it's just so interesting. It's such a great question because I just don't think. Because of the direction in which the governing body's gone, there's such a lack of guidance as to what to do. Because it's almost like anything that you do is acceptable now. It's just like, oh, it's just like, oh, well, if you do that, that's fine. If you do this, then that's fine. It's constraints based. Okay, fine. If the FA really helped coaches and said, listen, if, you, if this is your limited time that you've got one hour, this is what you should be able to do. For me, it has to start with the ball each. A rival activity of kickups. Uh, if you get there 10, 15 minutes early while you're setting up, players are doing kickups. Ideally, you're there with them for that. Um, session starts and it's ball mastery, change direction, passing, receiving, just repetition over and over again. But also trying, as a, from a grassroots perspective, trying to understand the detail that's, that you can teach the children. And listen, for most grassroots coaches, we know it's not their full-time job. And, and, and credit to them, like, they are the foundation of our grassroots game as volunteers. But, they're, but I think they need a little bit more help not so much on the courses, but just in terms of a, a framework. Following that ball mastery, I would then make sure they, they got a little bit of pass receiving, plenty of 1v1 type practices, and then you finish with, with your conventional, uh, maybe a possession or a small side of game. And sometimes you can flip it. You might not be able to fit all that in, into an hour. So it might be that one week you do uh, a, a high-intensity pass and receiving practice within that hour. The following week, that then builds into a possession. If you've only got one... Um, one hour to work with your players. And then at the end, you finish with your small-sided game. But it must start the first 20, 30 minutes of the session must have 20 minutes at least at ball each. Because if that's all the all the, all the touches that, that, that that boy or girl is getting that week, they must have some kind of purpose to it, some kind of idea that what they're trying to uh, attain. And then also that will build their technical base and you'll get better outcomes when you get into your small-sided game and your competitive matches. 
Yeah, because I can I can hear you know in the you know the distance of constraints based you know uh, coaches oh but you know you have such little time you know why don't you just let them play get them in the game and that's why I, I, I'd say you know what Tom Byer talks a lot about you know say you know so many players drop out of the game because they don't have the skill level the skill based and you know we had this conversation the other day Glenn didn't we, we were talking about uh, ball striking I think but it's the same thing as that I think as well it's just the art of the coach you know you can do anything you know if you've got the if you've got the ability to inspire and be energetic, you know, you can do anything with players, you know, any, you know, that's, it's your the job of the coach to make that interesting, you know, don't have them queuing up, you know, like a line of 10 and one body to go do a Cruyff turn, come back to the comb, next one goes, obviously not, that's not what you're doing, you know, like Glenn and I were talking about the other day, weren't we, about those working in twos and threes and fours, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, you know, be dynamic, be inventive, be creative as much as possible. I mean, that's really the art of the coach. Glenn, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, one thing I would say, look, we're all on here and we're so passionate, so, and, you know, whether we've been in it over 20-odd years or whatever. I think that's a key element that we underestimate about the most highly technical players or skillful players, like a Neymar, Zidane, Cholton, Bobby Cholton. I go back to, I keep going back to Bobby Cholton because he was just a technical master. Yeah, why, played... why are you going back to Bobby Cholton? No, I'll tell you because no, I was idea. watching. No, yeah, yeah, but a bit biased. But I, I'm talking, I'm thinking about longevity. So that guy done it for 800 games. And, and the Ryan player Gibson. still is he? <laughs> no, but... I go back whether it's then or whether it's Harry Kane going to keep going till yeah. 40. I really believe he will. The thing that they share that we're showing here, Saul, is love and a passion. I think doing the stuff that Alex does at under seven, eight, nine with a pre academy or young ones first, igniting a love and a passion for the ball first and foremost. Forget the game. Forget, yes, they love the game, but then they start to fall in love with the ball like we all do. And we all think we've still got a little bit in our locker, but we are maybe getting a little bit rustier. But that, that love is a key to t- technique as well. And I say it as a coach as well, Saul. 24 years in, and I think, I don't really know much. I know a lot. Of course I do. I should do. I've been doing it 24 years, but I'm still looking at things. Like Riyad Mahrez's touch the other day on the outside of his foot. This we- His first touch, the wedge touch, that, yeah. that, that wedge touch where you use the ground to wedge the ball. It is just something, of, it's just phenomenal, right? So I'm now looking at thinking, okay, how can I get this in the warm-up a bit better? Like what Alex said, can I, can I do a practice where they're just doing it themselves and do the wedge touch? Yeah, I'll do that anyway. Well, actually, like Alex said, we're passing. Can I get them doing it on the move? All right, so let's do the pass coming from there at an angle, knock it up at different heights and just get them to try. Take it on the move, then cut it inside. And and again, I'm inspired, for my because of my love for the game, I'm inspired by Maris to say, okay, looking at the top of the game, right back to the first point, Alex said, how can I now capture that, break it down to its fundamental elements, which means I've got to learn. I've got to learn first before I can pass it on to the kids. All right, well, actually, look at the timing. Look how relaxed these knees and ankles are. Like, whatever the detail is, I've got to know it first before I can then pass it on. If I'm going to absolutely break it down and then build it and scaffold it into the session for the kids, and then let's be honest, they'll have fun. Because when you're doing fancy touches and flicks overheads, the kids the kids love to explore new stuff. So I think the shared thing is for me personally, so when it comes to technique, I'm obsessed with technique. And kids that are obsessed with technique like Zidane when he was a kid, I have absolutely no doubt. If we had a GPS or a tracker system on how much the best technical players spent time with the ball, they'd be at the top. It's not like, do you know what I mean? It's not mm. rocket science. So, and, I, and I'm, I'm just as passionate about learning about technique myself. So, because we know we've got to pass it on to the kids, if, if that makes sense. I felt, I felt like I got lost and rambled a bit there, but. No, that's right. Absolutely. Makes well, sense. Just going back to Al, like before we obviously wrap up here, Alex, so what do you do, mate? You've just got, you know, head of, found, head of, head of uh, individual development at the FA or the United, United States soccer. So what do you, what's your first thing you do? How do you help coaches? I mean, you know, to, to, to develop, you know, technical players. I think the first thing is framework. Um, the biggest thing that I learned, well, one of the biggest things I learned, I learned a lot of things at Brentford, but the the value of framework and environment 
is fundamental to player development. Without, without um, coaches having an understanding of what it should look like, just in terms of the, the idea of the sessions, the topics of the session and how long they should be doing them for, you won't be able to develop develop players. So if, if I was the head of either of those federations, especially in the US, which is a, a developing one, when, and it's developing at a rate of knots, I would very much look at, give, give frameworks for the amount, for depending on the amount of hours coaches were getting with their with their groups. Okay, if you're with your group for two hours, this is what it should look like. Four hours, this is what it should look like. And eight hours, because there's a lot of players out there in, in, in the US who are doing who are doing four nights a week, two hour sessions. So you've got plenty of time to work with your players and cover mm. cover the full full breadth of it. And obviously with the players that you have more time with, you're able to drill down a little bit more um and spend a little bit more time with. And then that then filters in to when they go into the academies or when they go into the, the MLS academies or the uh, MLS Next clubs, when they then get picked up by the national team, you know that those players should have had an experience of a certain amount of ball mastery, being able to croak, being able to roll, being able to pivot, making sure that that they're scanning while executing these things and so on and so forth. So then, and also if you build a common language and I'm, and obviously it's yeah. it takes a little bit longer to build a common language, but if you build up a common language that filters down from the very, very top into the gra- into grassroots, the players become less confused. The, the players have more clarity and you have the benefit of being even more concise within your information. So when you're, so when you, if you, if you've got a player that's been called up to the U S national team at 15, when you're using the U S, but it could be any country as an example, if, if you say, listen, you're not, you're not pivoting correctly. That player knows immediately because the commonality of the language mm. filters down all the way to grassroots football. The problem that you have is that, is that so often these, these messages get lost and it's so hard to develop a clear and concise um, coaching program, especially in a country like America, which is so vast and so big, and so many of those challenges they actually have in the US are actually geography based in terms of getting high level and appropriate challenge. Um, but also, just going back to um, what Glenn was touching on um, with the amount of time that he spends observing the current game, it, and I think that's such a valuable lesson. The moment I think we stop looking and watching the Champions League game and sitting down and really trying to observe it and break it down from a tactical perspective, from a technical perspective, I think we genuinely become no longer elite because the game is still moving. And and I think a lot of coaches don't do that. I think it's probably one of the biggest messages from this whole, from this entire podcast that, mm. that I think coaches can take away with them. Watch the game and try and watch the best possible practitioners you can. But if you don't know the detail and you're telling a, a child, doesn't matter the age, Keep do it like this. Do it like this. You don't know the detail. Give them the detail, and then they can take it on, and then they can go and practice it themselves. If they now now know they've got to think about things like disguise, things like pivoting, actually you you've not only taught that player in that moment. Now when they go home and they're in the park the next day, or they get to train early, they're then taking that information and trying to apply it. It's it, it, it's such such a big part. And just like finally, I know one of your bugbears are these, you know, Instagram coaches who uh, market themselves as elite player developers. Tell us about that. Why does you know that frustrate you so much? And well, I think it's what we both experienced. So I think it's hard to call them Instagram coaches when we're when we're posted pretty much every day and we live <laughs> our lives on it. But but I think I think the biggest difference between between you and I is that is that we did it, we lived it f- f- six times a week at Brentford every single week for four years. 
Same at Watford, same at, at, at Arsenal after having been six, seven, six years into academy football. I was I was doing seven days a week for the first three years of, of my time at Arsenal. I was doing pre-academy, I was doing 12s. And so we were living it long before Instagram was around or Instagram was part of our sphere. So now Instagram is part of our sphere. We've got all the tools, all the knowledge, and also the purpose of what we're delivering. The problem is, is that so many coaches are doing it the other way around now and they become an Instagram coach. They set up a, a page and they've got a mate that's a pro and it's, oh yeah, he, he goes to him. So, and then and then you start selling a, a, a fake dream and and ultimately what it is, is you're not best placed to help those players. I'm, I think one of the most concerning things I'm starting to see is people call it, um, people putting out elite sessions. Now, I'm sure you, you consider your sessions elite so because of the years you've done, because of the players you coached and, and same for me. But there are people out there doing elite sessions but never worked in academy football. It, it, it's, it's not possible. So the, the sessions that I deliver, they're not elite because the players that attend, they're elite because of my detail. And like and, and likewise for your sort. Um, and I think it's it's a very dangerous experience to have when you've got coaches that are using the words, but then can't deliver. And, and ultimately, like with all these things, sort, the only people that lose are the players. The only people that lose out are the players. So it's so important that the that Instagram coaches, regardless of the experience, actually put the yards in and actually observe, learn, and get themselves in and around high-level players because it because we've all coached those players that that actually develop us as a coach. Some the three or four players that I think on top of my head that really kind of were light bulb moments for me when I first saw them, and I'm I'm sure, I'm sure we feel the same. But you've got to get yourself in those environments first. Yeah, I agree, Matt. I think that's. You know, I've said it before, you can't really sit at the table unless you've, you know, experienced those environments and day-to-day -day work with those those top, top players. But listen, uh, so we'll let you both go, guys go. We've run on now, but I appreciate it. Look, uh, Al, appreciate it, mate. Back to you. How, well, just tell people how they can find you on uh, Instagram, ironically enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely on Instagram, at coach underscore Alex N. Uh, it's exactly the same for my uh, for my Twitter and exactly the, and exactly the same for my um, Facebook at Coach Alex N, no underscore in the in the Facebook one. Um, also and tell on, us, tell us also, about also, you, also on my website, Coach Alex. Coach Alex, and also tell us about you. You've got some big things. You're doing some stuff in America as well. So we've got you know a lot of listeners in America. Tell where people can find you in America. You've got some Christmas yes, stuff coming so, up. Yes, right? so um, my fourth camp coming up uh, this December in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. Uh, one week camp, uh, five days. Uh, two and a half hour sessions each day, um, working with players from under nine straight up to um, under 16. Really looking forward to getting out there. They've got so much passion and so much respect for coaches and, and learning. They really value that. So can't wait to get out there to America. Nice one. Lucky lucky uh, players in uh, Carolina. But anyway, nice one. Glenn, thanks very much. Alex, stay nice. Good to see you, boys. This is like the old dream team of uh, technical coaching there. So we'll go down thanks a lot. Well done, guys. Cheers, 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 fellas. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Glenn. Bye. Cheers, man. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.